Good morning. Hi. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Um, the scripture this morning comes from 1 Corinthians 12, the whole chapter. Um, and it's on page 6 of your bulletin. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters. I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them all. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of, heal of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. But we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do we all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? 
now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Is that your husband clapping for you? <laughs> she does everything right in his eyes, you know. You can hear church differently and serve the Lord when you're working on the Sabbath. When you're working on the Alright, that's a keeper. <laughs> Just may or may not show up on the church website. No, 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 you know. We'll have to see, right? Oh, too good, too good. All right, we got to pray. Let's pray together and let's go to the Lord. Jesus, thank you so much for your word that you communicate to us. You're, you're not a mute God. You're a God who speaks, who reveals himself, who connects. We know words create relationship. That's why communication is so important in, in every human relationship we have, but we know that's especially true for our relationship with you. So thank you for engaging us, for giving us your covenant love for speaking to us even now. So come and speak and help us to listen, help us to hear you, uh, not dead words, but living words, and change us. So please come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a, a well-known concept in professional sports that you might be familiar with, and it's called the disease of more. It was originally coined by Pat Riley, the Hall of Fame basketball coach who led six teams to NBA championships. But what is it? What is the disease of more? Well, Riley explains that winning a championship requires every player on the team to do a lot of the small things, uh, sometimes thankless tasks, like diving for a ball or playing good defense, even when no one's looking, or sacrificing yourself for the good of the team, letting someone else shine even if you don't get the spotlight. But he also notices that after winning a championship, something tends to happen. Uh, egos get more involved. Players begin to want more. More money. More fame. More playing time, more TV time, more endorsements, more chances to score, more individual glory. In his book, Showtime, Pat Riley explains the idea this way. Success is often the first step towards disaster. People start thinking, I'm really the key ingredient. It was my quality minutes off the bench or it was my brilliant coaching decisions, or it was my outstanding defense. Coach Riley goes on to explain that this is the real reason why so many teams who win championships are often ultimately dethroned the next year or the year after, not by other better teams, but rather by their own egos within the team itself. They're destroyed by the disease of more. The Corinthian church was suffering from the same disease, the disease of more as churches often do. 
which doesn't mean, of course, that they had a team or were playing basketball. They were losing, not on the basketball court, but they were losing on the court of church life. Because there was a set of divisions and controversies and egos that have risen, that had risen up amongst them, different people that had begun to want the spotlight to be shown on them upon their giftedness, their abilities, upon me. The topic that the Apostle Paul here is addressing is the topic of what's often been called spiritual gifts. We see this language here in the passage a couple times. Verse 1, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. In verse 4 again, he uses the same language. There are different kinds of gifts. And this is the way that the Bible talks about special abilities that we have. Different ways in which we love and serve one another uniquely because of the way that God has designed us and because of the ways that God has blessed us. We see this list in verses 8 through 11 of different gifts that were operating in the Corinthian church at that time. A message of wisdom, a message of knowledge, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, speaking in different kinds of tongues or languages. The interpretation of tongues in verse 28 to 30 at the end of the passage, we see another set of lists. Different abilities as well as different roles and offices in which these gifts operated. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helping, which is another word for administration, guidance, which is another word for leadership, and tongues. These lists weren't meant to be exhaustive. They don't list every kind of gift that we find in the church of Jesus but Paul is just giving us a representative sample of the different ways that Christ has actually gifted his people. And right away, there are a couple things that we start to learn about this idea of spiritual gifts. First of all, spiritual gifts are meant for service. They're meant for service. They are the unique way in which God has designed you or equipped you to love best. Spiritual gifts are not about serving yourself, serving your ego. Rather, they're there, they're given to you as a way in which you are called to serve your brother, your sister, your neighbor. Again, spiritual gifts are the way that God uniquely enables you to love other people best. And so verse 7 points us in that direction. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the what? My personal good. No, the common good. Everyone else is good. Secondly, spiritual gifts are not only meant for service, they're also spiritual. That's why we call them spiritual gifts. Their effectiveness comes from the Holy Spirit. Sometimes God will take natural abilities that we have, whether if it's abilities of intellect or abilities of heart or of hand, and he'll fire them up with the power of God himself to bear spiritual fruit in other people's lives, to actually build them up or give them strength or to build relationships, build the community, help them to see more of Jesus, help them to believe with faith more fully in the love of God in Christ. But the source of these gifts are God's Spirit Himself. It's why we call them spiritual gifts. And in fact, the role of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, is to actually reproduce in us 
the very life and love of Jesus himself. In other words, what are our gifts? Simply, they are the abilities and talents of Jesus now given to you. God is making you more like Jesus in the way that you serve, in the way that you love. These are our spiritual gifts. Thirdly, they're not only for service, they're not only spiritual, but spiritual gifts are a stewardship. Verse 11 says this, All of these are the work of the one and same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. In other words, God gives spiritual gifts to every person that is in Christ. If you put your faith in Jesus, you embrace him as your Savior, God unites you to him, you and Christ become one, and in his life you are given his gifts. Every person that is in Christ is given a spiritual gift. Everyone has them. No one has all the gifts, but everyone has a gift. He's blessed you with a gift, which of course, if we take that language seriously, gift, it means it didn't come from you, and now you have something that someone else gave you. So what are you going to do with it? There's a stewardship, a responsibility. Actually, it's precisely out of a deep sense of gratitude for this gift that you ought to carry it well and use it well and use it in the way in which the gift giver intended it to be used. Once again, not for your own glory, but for the good of others and the glory of Christ. Gifts don't belong to you. You must, therefore, use it. Steward them well. Is there a gift that you have that you've been refusing to use? Is there a gift and an ability, a talent that you have that you've sort of been shoving off into the corner? I know some people actually have sort of given up on some way that you used to serve and love well, uh, but maybe someone mocked you. Maybe something happened. Maybe you got hurt. Maybe you became insecure about that thing. Maybe you're not convinced anymore that it's actually effective or needed. You need to dust that sucker off. Bring it out into the church. Jesus has given that gift to you as a stewardship. Will you serve with it? Friends, what are your spiritual gifts? What are the unique ways in which God has enabled you to love? That you might be able to serve people around you as Christ has served us. And we need to think creatively. Of course, we have some of these lists in a chapter like this, in 1 Corinthians 12, other parts of the Bible, we have other lists of gifts, Romans 12 being one of them. But it's not meant to be exhaustive. Again, those aren't the only gifts that we have. What we really just need to think about are what, again, are the unique abilities that you have, ways in which you have seen people be encouraged or blessed or lift up or well-loved by you. Maybe someone's given you feedback. The way that you wrote that note to me, it really impacted me well. Or maybe that drawing or painting, that image that you sent to me, it, it really pointed me to Christ. Keep drawing, keep painting. Or, or maybe it's just a unique way in which you're able to relate to each other. Uh, some of you need to understand that uh, there are ways in which you serve well that just come naturally to you and that are blessed by God's Spirit that absolutely don't come naturally to other people, like caring about kids or walking with youth. You say, well, hey, how can you not love kids? Trust me, a lot of people don't like it, right? Or some of you say, well, I like babies, but it's the older ones that are a little bit more trouble. If I have to talk, it's harder for me. 
Some of you are really good at this really special, glorious, unique slice of humanity called 12-year-old girls. And you're really amazing at connecting and communicating and opening their hearts and walking together. For others of you, it's 12-year-old boys. Uh, Some of you are introverts, and so you don't think you have something to offer by way of relationships. And you know, because you're introverts, you know that's just not true. The other day, or rather several weeks ago, I was at a conference, a large sort of entryway with tons of people that were waiting for the doors to open. And I have enough introvert in me that there was a point at which I was like, I just don't want to talk to anyone. And when I looked up in the corner, I saw a small crowd of people just quietly on their phones, right? Poking away at their phones. And I was so glad for them because they gave me permission. (laughs) They gave me permission to not feel badly about not having the energy to talk in that moment or to talk to everybody. So I kind of slunk over there in the corner too and dropped my head and I said, I know we're we're all going to be just fine here together, right? (laughs) You don't even realize, even by you just being your reserved self, but doing it in the company of others, you are setting other people free to be their reserved selves. What does it look like for you to be in a community, in a family, using your gifts? What gifts do you need to use? You see, and here's the issue in this passage. Here was the problem that had arisen in the Corinthian church. Well, people knew well that they were gifted, but they started to look around and say, my gifts are better than yours. My gifts are more impressive than yours. How could they not be more powerful? How could they not be of more value to God? Certainly, Christ loves me more because of the gifts that I have and must love you less. Well, nobody says that. But they certainly were measuring their spiritual maturity based upon the gifts that they exercised, looking down their noses on others that weren't as gifted as they. And this is why the Apostle Paul addresses this issue at all. It wasn't whether or not they knew they had gifts, It was how they were using it and the fact that it was dividing the church. You see that language in verse 25, division in the body. In verses 15 in that paragraph, in verses 21 and on in that paragraph, you hear Paul sort of using hypothetical situations that probably weren't so hypothetical. Someone in the community was saying, well, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Because I don't have your gifts, I I really am not that important here. I'm not needed here. And then another person that's saying, well, you're kind of right. I don't really need you because I've got all the gifts that I need. The problem here was pride, pride in our gifts. The problem here was overvaluing certain gifts and undervaluing others. Every community has this tendency. Every city and its culture uniquely skews the value system of the way that we treat certain abilities and treat others. I wonder what it is in a city like ours, in a neighborhood like ours. It's probably something along the lines of a unique value of speaking gifts or maybe leadership of the extroverted sort, movers and shakers perhaps, people that approximate sort of the profile of the power broker. I don't know what it is. But here's what you have to realize. There are things in our minds, things in our culture, things that we just sort of have within us 
that make us think some people are more important than others. That some gifts and abilities are more valuable to the church than others and more valuable to the world than others. And so we sort of draw near to these people and we forget these. We celebrate these gifts and we forget these. What is it in our church? What is it in our church? For the Corinthians, I think they were especially drawn to speaking gifts. Corinthian and Roman culture loved orators. If you could speak well, well, we'll pay you some money. Come on in. We'd love to just listen to you, titillate our ears. It's why the Apostle Paul in the beginning of this letter was clarifying for the Corinthians, don't get fooled by that. The preaching of the gospel sounds different. It does a different thing to your heart. Speaking gifts were their thing. What's our thing? What is it that we are valuing and celebrating too much to the detriment and neglect of other kinds of gifts and abilities in the church? And here's the bottom line. This is what Paul is getting at as far as the body life, the community itself. When you get that dynamic, when you have this thing going on and seeing some gifts and not seeing others and celebrating some and not others, this is the bottom line. You cannot stick together if someone thinks they're better. It creates divisions. It creates broken relationships. It dismembers the one body of Christ. And so here's what the Apostle Paul says. He tells them three things, basically. How can we live differently? How can we relate to each other, relate to our gifts, relate to your gifts differently according to God's word? Three things. Number one, you got to remember that every gift comes from the same source, namely God and not us. I already made this point earlier, but just to underscore it one more time, because Paul really gives it a lot of emphasis. Listen to verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, yes, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Again and again and again, Paul uses this word same He's really trying to make a point. In fact, from verse 4 all the way through verse 7, he uses that one word six times. What's his point? There are different kinds of gifts, all manner of abilities with which we can love other people well. Some of them might be more visible, some of them less visible. Some of them up front, some of them in the sound booth in the back. Some of them by words and some of them by hands and deeds. But they all come for the same spirit, so they all have the same value in the eyes of God. They all have the same origin, the same spirit, the Holy Spirit. You see, because the Corinthians were starting to think in sort of different categories, like, hey, those are the high-octane gifts, and those are the low-octane gifts, Right? That's the, those are the power gifts, and these are sort of the battery-operated ones. And Paul says, no. Every single person, if you are united to Christ, you have an ability to love people in such a way that has the power to change their life and turn it right side up. Why? Because the power source behind that gift, whatever it might be, is nothing less than the very same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And every single one of you have him. And every single one of you have an ability to minister out of that power. 
And if you believe that, that every gift comes from the same source, from the very same Holy Spirit, it calls you into a different kind of humility. I'm no better than you. We stand on common ground. We're plugged into the same generator. God, the Holy Spirit. So your gifts, though less visible, are no less electric. Uh, Though my gifts might be more upfront, they are in fact no less endowed by the infinite workings of God as the gifts that you might have behind the scenes. It calls us to humility. It calls us to a different kind of solidarity. Number one, every gift comes from the same source, God, and not us. And number two, every gift is indispensable to the health of the church. Every gift is indispensable to the health of the church. You might have noticed the Apostle Paul uses the metaphor, the picture of the human body to illustrate his point. You see in verse 12, he says, just as a body, a human body, a real body, though one has many parts, arms, legs, ears, noses, skin, hair, all different parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. And then verse 27 says this, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Every single one of you, with all your gifts, have some function that God has uniquely given to you and called you to steward and use. So if you're an arm, he's called you to bring your armness into the community. If you're a nose, bring your sense of smell. If you're a mouth, bring your mouthness. If you're a leg, if you're a knee, whatever it might be, whatever organ and part. And this is precisely what Paul draws our attention to. That every part even those that appear to be weaker or less important is vital to the healthy functioning of the body. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of seeing be? In verse 22, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker, in fact, are indispensable. In every church, including ours, there are always parts of Christ's body that are seen as weaker. In other words, whose value is not as obvious to us. When in fact, in the eyes and the heart of Christ, they are indispensable and necessary. I was looking up a few things earlier this week about the the design of the human hand. And the question comes up, of course, when you think about how the hand is made and how it functions. uh, Which do you think is the least important finger on your hand? Your first guess might be the pinky, small, insignificant, easily breakable. But in fact, 
it's not. An occupational therapist nearby the National Rehabilitation Hospital uh, points out that we would lose 50% of our hand strength if you didn't have your pinky. Uh, Because the index and the middle finger, together with the thumb, the opposable thumb, this wonderful thing, is needed for pinching and, and grabbing, zipping zippers and buttoning buttons and picking things up. But it's actually the pinky that provides power in your grip to hold on to things. I don't know, try some experiment. Tape your pinky down, something like that. See how your holding and your grabbing goes. In fact, some studies show just how extremely hard it is to do pull-ups without your pinky. Give that a shot as well. What are the small parts, not just of the hand, to use that as a metaphor, of the body of Christ that may not apparently seem to be valuable or needed that in fact contribute a whole heck of a lot more value than you might think. But it's easy to assume, well, that's not that important because maybe those gifts are fewer in number or maybe because they don't have as much visible effect. Maybe they seem to be less impressive to your human eyes or maybe according to the world's standards. And so, of course, in a church service like this or a community like this, it's easy to recognize the power or the value of, say, public speaking gifts or maybe someone's ability to sing and to lead the congregation in worship. But have you forgotten, not just about the speakers, have you forgotten about the other end, how important it is to have good listeners for a community to be healthy? Some of you have a gift of listening. And no one's ever going to see that. But certainly the person that's pouring their heart out to you and is feeling this connection, they get it from your eye contact and your body language and the way that you're responding with just enough feedback but not too much so as to swallow them up with your thoughts and words. Oh, a good listener is divine. Or people that have just this unique ability to bring their hopefulness. I don't mean just optimism, but there's something about their temperament and their spirit where in a hard time, when everything seems to be falling down, they're the person in the group that's able to say, I think everything's going to be all right. And it just changes the conversation. You've been in conversations like this. The whole group is heading downhill And this one person's simple comment or bright smile, not being flippant at all about the sorrow that's being beheld, is able to bring a word of hope. Some of you have the gift of hope. Or the person that's able to diffuse anxiousness in a time of chaos. Something about the way that you're wired in your temperament. Everyone else is freaking out, stressed out because the pipes burst or a crate didn't show up or something didn't happen. And this person is just able to say, let's keep moving forward. A timely word of encouragement. Not the big speech, which might be more impressive as far as human eyes are concerned, but you've been there. That moment when all you needed was about six words and that person gave the exact right words at the exact right time to lift your heart back up to the promises of God. Or some of you have uh, the gift of explaining things, right? You're able to take confusing and complex things and just make them clear 
It, it, it might be explaining how a refrigerator needs to be fixed, but it also might be explaining some deep concept in God's word that's hard for you to grasp. We need those people as well. Some of you have the gift of encouraging laughter. You just laugh really well. Paula and I were talking about someone that we know, and we just noted how, man, this person, every picture you see them in, it's just the biggest, brightest smile that they have. They light up the room. And I said, well, you should hear that person laugh. There's no corner of that room where the per a person can stand or sit in that, where you don't receive just this, this wave of joy and encouragement when you hear this person laugh. Some of you are gifted in project management. Some of you gifted in baking cookies. Others of you gifted in prayer. You talk about this wonderful gift that just doesn't give an, get enough praise and certainly doesn't always get noticed or seen. Some of you just are drawn to getting on your knees and praying on a routine basis. Uh, some of you have been praying for our church and you've been keeping us alive. Some of you have been praying for me. I know I hear it once in a while and I realize this is why the Lord's protected me and is growing me in my faith, is overcoming sin and weakness in my life. It's because you've been praying for me personally. What are these ways in which these less visible, less recognized, quote-unquote, weaker pinkies of the body that actually contribute some of the most strengths of the body, but we don't know how to recognize them? How do we need to recognize them? In fact, the Apostle Paul says here, that we need to give them honor. We should give greater public honor, number three, to gifts that are dishonored, that are not recognized. Verse 23 says this, the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor. The parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. See, the Apostle Paul turns to the church and he says, some of you feel unneeded. You need to know that you are needed. You say in verse 15, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Dear friend, if that is the story of your heart, you need to know you do belong. You are a part of the body. We need you. And then there are others of you who have these more impressive visible gifts, and maybe you're looking around and you're devaluing people. To which Paul says in verse 21, you can't say to the hand, I, didn't, I, I don't need you. You do need them. We're dependent upon one another. But what do we need to do? Well, the apostle tells us, we need to actually give special honor and recognition to those parts that feel left out. We need to give special intentional honor to those parts of the body that are typically in the church and in the world neglected and forgotten and devalued. We need to go out of our way to put the spotlight on them so that we might finally be the unified body with no divisions that Christ has created us to be. 
I mean, let me restate that again. How do we achieve unity in the body where everyone is cared for and everyone is valued? The answer is not simply by treating everyone exactly the same. Paul here says, no, take those who are not honored enough and honor them specially. Turn the spotlight and focus it on them so that they would get appropriate and do praise ultimately to the glory of Christ. What's interesting about this is that this image of the human body was actually used in Paul's day in Corinthian culture as a metaphor for unity. And so that's not surprising that that would be used in Scripture as well. The need for harmony when there's a mix of people. But what's interesting when we look at ancient historians is this metaphor was always used to remind the audience of the need for the lower classes to provide food and serve the ruling classes and the social elite. And that's how we're going to achieve harmony. The weaker need to serve the stronger, and that's how we're going to be one. Of course, the gospel turns that upside down. And he says, those of you that have recognized gifts, that generally tend to receive praise, give over that praise. Who tend to have the spotlight on you, turn the spotlight over to others. Those who tend to be celebrated most, even where you deserve to be celebrated, make sure that we're devoting ourselves to celebrating all parts of the body of Christ. The parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. God put the body together giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So what are the gifts in our community that we need to be intentional in spotlighting and honoring? What are the people that have begun to be forgotten that actually we need to remind ourselves and remind them, remind you, that we need you. We need you serving. We need you loving. We need you giving of your heart and of your life because this body cannot be whole apart from you being an active member of the body of Christ, which if you're in Christ is already what you are. Jesus invites us into his life he gives us grace, sinners, broken sinners. He gives us honor that we don't deserve. We are united to Christ. We are the body of Christ. Think about that. We actually are the physical presence of Jesus to one another. There's no greater honor than that. It's what Christ invites you into, not simply to forgive your sins, as wonderful as the promise of forgiveness is, but now to incorporate you into his very life and the continuing ministry of Jesus and the workings of God in this world, he gives you the special privilege of being a part of that. That's honor. And maybe if we believe that, maybe if you've believed in all the honor that we have in Christ, we would be healed of the disease of more, the lust for honor, the lust for more glory. More glory? You've got all the glory you need. If you're in Christ, 
and if you're a part of his eternal, glorious body. So will we love one another? Will we use our gifts? Will we consider one another and spotlight each other, lifting each other up? Not letting every, any person be forgotten, not letting any gift be neglected or demeaned or devalued. Will we do all of this for one another's good? Will we do it also for the glory of Christ? Let's pray. So we ask that you would come now and give us your spirit and fill us that we might love and serve as you've loved us. That we might use our gifts, but use them well, humbly, not for our own egos, but for your glory, for the good of those around us. Jesus, teach us to serve like you, not for our gain. Jesus, teach us to lay down our lives. Teach us to lift each other up. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing.
Well, I'd love to pause for a moment before communion to see if you have any questions. We like to do a little Q&A, little discussion time uh, based upon the teaching. Any questions you might have, any question is fair game. Even if you're brand new to the church, we would love uh, to interact, to apply, to digest, or to clarify anything that you heard. So what's on your mind? Happy to chat. Yes, sir. Carlos. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Right. That's a great question. So there are a bunch of gifts that are listed there, many of them of the miraculous sort. And the question is, well, do those still apply to, to today? Uh, are those gifts that we still have today? And obviously, I didn't get into all the specifics. I wanted to emphasize the broader point and not miss that uh, by diving too much into the weeds, but it's an important question that's often asked. I think what we find in the Bible is that there are certain gifts that did have special use and special value for a particular time and for a particular setting. One clue, for example, that that might be the case even in this passage is that in the latter verses of the passage, if you look towards the end in verse 28, we see listed among the different roles and gifts are the apostles. The apostles, of course, were the 12 people that followed Jesus most closely and witnessed to the resurrection. They were part of the penning of Scripture. Well, there are no more apostles any longer. Once they all died and after the Bible was inscripturated or written, there was no longer a need for that apostolic gift. So a clue then that some of these, along with the apostles, might have been for a specific time and specific function. And so it does seem, for example, that miracles are something that certainly do happen still in this day. They do. Uh, by miracle, we simply mean some supernatural way in which God suspends or works against the normal laws of nature. Interestingly, a lot of those miracles seem to happen more often overseas in other places where our minds aren't so cluttered by reason, as it were, right? Uh, it, it's an amazing thing when you hear the different testimonies, and it's not just because they have a, 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 a more primitive ability to believe fantastical things. Uh, there's a lot of good evidence of that. But the question is, is it still a routine and ordinary thing that happens in the church that we all ought to aspire towards? And I think the answer is no, not in the way in which miracles seem to happen differently in Jesus' time. Jesus was breaking in as the Savior of the world to validate his messiahship. He often did things that would uh, sort of draw the attention of people and prove his authority. Uh, a lot of his miracles were also little pictures and previews of what he was going to do in bringing in his kingdom. So healings, for example, in Jesus' time were little pre sneak previews of how God intended the world to be. We're not meant to have broken legs or paralyzed legs or blind eyes or ears that can't hear. One day, Jesus is going to heal everyone when he returns. But he was giving a little snapshot, a sneak preview of what he was going to do. So miracles had a unique function as they accompanied Jesus, as they accompanied the apostles, and even around the period of the early church. They do still happen, but not in as ordinary a fashion not with such regularity as they seem to in that time. 
And so parts of some of these miraculous gifts seem to have changed in the way that we find them in the church today. That's one way to answer that. Yeah, Angela. Explain a little bit of what you mean by that. The question was, is there a connection between spiritual gifts and calling? Yeah. The way that I might answer that is the way that the Bible talks about calling and the way that the church, throughout church history, has talked about this idea of calling. Uh, and let me for a second presume that you're talking in terms of vocational calling and, and, and such. Well, not necessarily, but calling in terms of how God is directing you. It, it, this is the sense that God orders your loves and your desires, orders your gifts, orders uh, the circumstances in your life by his providence in a certain direction where he invites you to use yourself to be devoted to the purposes of God, whether in your work or in your relationships or where you should live and move in uh, different ways in which God calls you and directs you in that sort of way. I would say calling actually is discerned by our gifts and not necessarily the other way around. In other words, if I feel like I am called to be the next American Idol. I feel called to that, by which I might mean I really want to do it, and I really love singing. Joanna's snickering over here. I'm not going to guess at why she's snickering at the idea of me being the next American Idol. Um, this is, so what is my calling? It may be to devote myself to music because I have a love for it, but the question still is how. My personal love and desire isn't the only thing, the only factor in the equation of my calling vocationally in this sense. An objective assessment of my abilities is part of it too. That's the gifts question. I might have a desire to be a musician professionally, but if I don't have the gifts, there's a good chance, well, you can improve them, you can practice, you can hone those gifts, but there's a good chance that that might not be my calling. And how do you assess that? Well, you need to have honest friends, <laughs> which far too many contestants don't have, right? You need people to give you objective feedback. That's why discerning calling and even evaluating your gifts can never be done in a vacuum. You can't sit in a room and decide for yourself, I'm pretty good at this. You need other people to say, you're better than you think, or you're not as good as you think. As you think. So we do this in community, discerning our gifts, and I think our sense of calling arises out of that, uh, evaluating the loves that we have in our hearts, the desires, uh, evaluating the objective gifts that we have, the things that we're good at, the things that God is already blessing when we put our energy and our abilities towards something. And I would say thirdly, evaluating the actual needs of the world. I might feel called to this certain line of work, but if there's no actual need that I'm meeting, if there's no place for it, or maybe just in that certain circumstance or time or town, well, that's going to be up to God and his providence. He's not going to open a door. Well, hey, maybe I'm not called in this time to serve in that way. No matter how gifted I am and no matter how much I love doing this, passionate about it, if there's no opportunity, then I'm not called in that moment. So different ways of, of thinking through that, and I've added a few other components there, but that's such a great question, Angela. Let's keep talking. Let's keep praying. Let's grow in our sense of our gifts and bless each other uh, maybe one of the best things that you can do today is go to someone where you have noticed that they have a special ability or gift or they have uh, ministered to you. They've just 
blessed you, encouraged you, strengthened you in some way, maybe even today in this service, when they turned to you and said hello, tell them so. Tell them, hey, you, you were something to me today. God used you, or you just made me smile, or you filled my heart, or you are gifted in this particular way. Spend this day and this week affirming each other in their giftedness. All right. Pastor Yancey's going to take us to the communion table now. God has given us the gift, who is Christ himself, who poured out his life on the cross. What will we do with him today? Well, he invites us to the table to, to eat him, to drink him, to take him down spiritually today so that our faith is strengthened, so that he nourishes us in this time. Let me pray. <laughs> Jesus, I just want to thank you before we partake of the elements. Thank you for giving yourself to us. Thank you, God, again, that you did not spare Jesus, but you have given him so that we would know grace, so that we would know love. Help us to take in these elements, remembering that, believing that, Father, afresh today. In your name we pray. Amen. In the same manner, after the supper, the Lord Jesus took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. We have one table here at the front, and we have two at the back on either side. You know, at the table, you're going to find bread, wine, and juice it's your choice what you take. There are also crackers here for those with allergies. Uh, we just ask that after you take up the, the, uh, the cup, please bring it back to the basket and, and drop it off in there. And towards the back, my left back here, I see a sign there. So the prayer team is back there uh, ready to receive you for those who want prayer during this time. You know, we can all use that this time for something, even if you want to just ponder there. Uh, at your seats or take some notes or do something before you come, you know, just to set your mind and hearts upon the table here. You know, some of you may be here today and you may be thinking, you know, I, I haven't taken that step in my life. I don't know Jesus personally as my Lord and Savior. This may be a time that you would sit there and think about what that means. Think about what you heard in the sermon and really ponder Christ anew. For others of you, you may just want to just come, pop right up at your time, or just take time to pray and then come up. But everyone is invited who have proclaimed Christ in their life. He invites us to the table to come and taste and see that he is indeed good.
haven't partaken of the elements, I invite you to do so during this time. Jesus, thank you for turning your attention to us and taking care of us, O oh Lord. Thank you for strengthening our belief in you today. Thank you, Father, for giving us a fresh word of the gospel of grace. Thank you for keeping us. In your name we pray. Amen. Please stand and let's rejoice in the Lord. Who will wipe your tears away? If your 
heart is broken. And if your heart is broken, all you gotta do is just lift your hands and say, Oh, I know, oh, I know that I can make it. I know that I, I know that I can stand. No matter, no matter what may come my way, my life is in. My life is in your hands. Oh, with Jesus I can with take Jesus, it. I can take it. With Him I know. from 2 Corinthians 13. May the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest now and forevermore upon you. Amen. Go in peace.